This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now this segment, I gotta say, uh, understand and compare common uh, debt management options. It's, I don't know if it's a scary title, but it sounds pretty complicated. And I know the reason why we're doing, a, doing this is because it can be for folks. It can be overwhelming looking at strategies and stuff. And, and the thing that I've learned in, in talking with you now, Blair, is that you're so good at explaining and assessing situations for folks, debt situations for folks, um, that that's, that that's probably one of the most gratifying things that you do for yourself, right? Cause you know, people walking in the door go, Oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do at this point. Yeah, you know, Elaine, that it probably is the most satisfying part of the job, you know, is, is making the order out of chaos, so to speak. So with someone, you know, not knowing where to turn and having a bunch of think concepts, you know, really swirling around in their head um, to really solidify that down. You know, here are the options. Here's what you can pursue to get out of debt. Some of them include a licensed insolvency trustee services. Some of them don't. And you can make an open-eyed, clear-headed discussion or decision on how you want to proceed. But that's how it starts with the consultation with the trustees. You just come in, you explain all the things that you're facing in your financial life, and then the trustee assesses which of these options are available to you and what's the implications of you moving forward. So um, usually by the end of a first meeting, which might be half an hour or an hour maximum, we've got a really good sense, a really good estimation of how these options are going to apply to an individual in their circumstances. And I want to throw in this, this is really important. It was to me when we first started talking was that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person in this country that can deal with bankruptcy and consumer proposals. And of course, we talk about consumer proposals all the time and, and bankruptcy even, but, but, but you are it. Nobody else, even though it sounds like other organizations or companies can do it, you have to be a licensed insolvency trustee to take this on. That's right. And that's important for people to know, because as you just alluded to, Elaine, if you sit down and you start to Google consumer proposals in BC, you know, you'll see a lot of trustees advertising, but you'll also see a lot of independent debt consultants, credit counselors, different folks who may have one of two objectives. One is to steer you away from a proposal because they want you to go and see them and they'll make money on fees and get more money back, so on and so forth. The other um, ob objective uh, might be to, to just make sure that you don't understand all the circumstances where a consumer proposal can apply and they want to charge you some fees for it. So either they're going to make you kind of scared of a consumer proposal um, or they're going to require you pay a bunch of upfront fees. They'll advise you on all of your options, do everything a trustee would do for free. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to meet the trustee, um, do all the same legwork you'd have to do otherwise. And you get that service for free rather than having to pay an intermediary or an agent or be referred from someone somewhere else. And the amount of work that Sands & Associates does with folks uh, in what, what are you, 18, 19, 20 offices now in British Columbia, you guys mm -hmm. have this vast wealth of knowledge and experience of folks and their situations. So there's probably not a situation that you haven't come across, like based on just the number of people that you deal with. 
Yeah, we, this is our 31st year in business. So we had our 30th anniversary last year, which somehow got overshadowed by a pandemic. But we understand that. So <laughs> um, but we, we've, we've been around a long time and we help people all over the province. So just about any community in BC, uh, folks are reaching out to us, especially a lot these days, um, you know, trying to understand the impact of death they've incurred during the pandemic and whatnot. Um, and the way that, that we approach things is we, we understand, we empathize, we want to put ourselves in the shoes of the client um, and really just validate their decision to come forward and see us and give them hope and options for the future. Okay, well, let's let's pretend for a second that I come into your office, or I guess we're doing it virtually, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. And what are the what are the first kinds of things that you want to know from me? And, and what do I bring into that meeting? Yeah, well, we start first by asking some basic questions and listening. So first off, why are you here? So is there a specific uh, concern that you have? Maybe it's just a hypothetical. I want to know what this debt what happens with this debt or before a sign on the dotted line, what are the rights and remedies? Always really good stuff. We're happy to give some free advice. But often I'm here because I can't sleep. I know I've got too much debt. I'm getting collection calls. They're threatening to call my workplace or seize my wages. So I want to identify the problem right away. Uh, From there, we move into understanding and assessing the situation. So just some basic questions. Who do you owe money to and approximately how much? Uh, what's your monthly budget looking like? Do you have income? Can you depend on it? Um, do you own any assets? Um, if so, what are they? Do you have a vehicle? Do you have a house? Are there tools of the trade? Um, and are you up to date with the government? Do you have all your taxes filed? So you might not know all of these answers right off the top of your head, and you might not know them in exact. But if you know in a general ballpark um, answers to those questions, that's what a trustee needs to try, start to set out the options for you. And then it's just a matter of filling in all the details, getting you know documentation on the debts and pay stubs for the income. But it just starts with a really basic general discussion. What are you facing and what are your objectives? So what are you, I guess probably the, the first sit down is maybe the hardest for folks to, to sort of gather up their, their uh, strength to do. Well, I think even the first phone call. So, you know, Ah. just, you know, some of these people tell me, you know, my hand was shaking over the phone. I tried three times and finally I completed your number. And usually that's the hardest step that they take because right away the phone's going to be answered by someone who deals with people in tough situations all day. And I don't hire anybody who judges somebody because of their debt. So it's someone that's going to be respectful, empathize with you. You're going to feel uh, better than you felt before you made the call when you're just making that first appointment with us. Uh, You know, from there in the initial consultation, um, you know, it really is a case of showing the person that they've made the right decision to sit down with Sands and Associates. And oftentimes it's over the phone or it's by Zoom these days with the pandemic. But it's just showing that we care. We care about them as an individual. We care about their financial situation. Uh, and there's no judgment that they'll receive in that first meeting or anywhere after. So we'll ask the general questions. We'll start to put together some solutions and options. And then we'll check in and see, you know, what are your objectives and how do these fit? I want to mention the website, sands-trustee.com is the website. Uh, if you want to initiate that first, uh, make an appointment and, and get to talk to somebody, 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. So let's talk about some of the options that you help a person look at when they're coming in for some debt advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's five we're going to try to get through in today. And first one is, is pretty well the default. Can you pay off the debt in full? 
So you just need a little bit of help with your budgeting, but nothing else beyond that. If your account is still in good standing, maybe we'll give you some coaching on, hey, maybe you can negotiate a reduced interest rate with your lender, or maybe we'll explain to you some other provisions of the law where you've got this vehicle that's really constrained you and you can't afford to make all the payments. We'll explain to you how the seize or sue provisions in the province of BC actually give you a great option if the vehicle had to be seized that would end the entire uh, commitment with you. Um, So there's a lot of benefits to trying to pay off the debt in full, but the cons on that side is it's often not possible. If you're not able to make significantly more than the minimum payment due each month, um, you're really going to be on a long-term plan to pay down the debt. Um, And even if you've got a great budget, sometimes things happen to that budget outside, you know, shocks to the system, which might make this plan just not possible for you. But we'll always look at can you pay off the debt in full as a first option. Okay, what's the second solution for folks? Well, the second one is sometimes what people have already tried before they've gotten to us. So oftentimes they'll say, I've tried to pay it off until I can't. Second option we look at is what can you consolidate by borrowing? Can you get a bank consolidation loan, for example? Uh, Benefits there are typically you're not going to juggle multiple debts and payment due dates, and you're typically going to have a lower interest rate than you would have in your other credit cards. Maybe you're at 11, 12% with a consolidation compared to, you know, 19 or 20 or even more than that with a credit card. Uh, the downsides to this is you are going to repay it back all the debt in full. So you might get a break on the interest, but it's still going to be a significant amount of payments if your debts are significant to begin with. Um, and sometimes people are still okay with that. They'd rather pay their debts in full even if it takes a long time. But the big issue is it's very difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan because often a bank is going to want you to have some assets you could pledge as collateral or they're going to want you to involve a co-signer, which is almost always a really bad idea. So if you're sitting there about to consolidate your debts and considering whether to get a co-signer, I would say just pause, have a consultation with a trustee, and then decide if you want to do so. But oftentimes, a consolidation loan is very difficult to qualify without a co-signer or without pledging assets. I know that uh, credit counseling services, that's going to be one of your options as well, uh, because we get inundated with uh, ad- advertisements and everywhere about how they work. But I'd like to look at the last two, which I think are the most important ones. And, and this must be very hopeful for folks when you start talking to about solution four and five. Yeah, exactly. So solution four is the option of filing a consumer proposal. So a consumer proposal is going to achieve the same as that consolidation we just talked about. You're going to put all the debts together. Um, Instead of having a reduced interest rate, they're going to have a zero interest rate, which is obviously a lot more affordable. And in a consumer proposal, you're going to pay back what you can afford to pay back on your debt. So it might be a reduction of, you know, 20 or 30 percent, all the way up to 80, even 90 percent of your debt might be reduced if what you can actually afford to repay back is just the portion that that fits in your budget. So oftentimes a good rule of a good guideline to consider um, is that a consumer proposal should should start at roughly 30% repayment of the debt, and then your trustee is going to basically adjust that based on your income and your other obligations to figure things out. But a consumer proposal gives you full protection from your creditors, same protection as if you had filed the bankruptcy. Nobody can take you to court, call you, harass you, or do anything against you. Um, And it allows you to restructure your debts without resorting to a bankruptcy, which should be your last resort. If nothing else works, then you consider a bankruptcy. But for two-thirds of people that come to see a trustee, they're able to make a consumer proposal work and they generally feel a whole lot of pride saying you know I I could have considered a bankruptcy you know maybe I might have paid a little bit less on the debts but I faced this head-on I made the settlement that I could afford the creditors agreed to it and everyone respects everyone at the end of the day there 
and I know this is the last one, but it's certainly not the least, and it doesn't have to be in this order, and that's just filing for personal bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so bankruptcy, it, you know, it might be something we consider early on in the meeting, but it's generally the, you know, the the option that you would choose if none of the other options are available to you. So you know you can't pay the debt off, you can't get a consolidation loan, a proposal or credit counseling just doesn't work. Well, bankruptcy is going to reduce your debt by 100%. It's going to get you down to owing nobody anything and not paying any further interest. It's going to give you that bankruptcy protection that people generally know about, meaning it's a ceasefire. So you don't need to worry about being harassed or having anything seized from you. Uh, Most people who file for bankruptcy, if they're considered low income, uh, it's over in nine Nine months, and typically what they pay is $200 a month for nine months for a total of $1,800, and that could be to get rid of $10,000, $100,000, or even a million dollars worth of debt. Bankruptcy doesn't scale at all based on the amount of the debt. It just scales based on your income. So if you're not low income, you'll have to pay a bit more than $1,800, but for a low income individual, they don't pay their debts any further. They pay $200 a month for nine months. Uh, the downside of a bankruptcy primarily is that it will impact your credit. So for six years after you finish the bankruptcy, it's going to be noted, but you can rebuild far quicker than those six years. So it's really a good option to consider for someone if nothing else works. And in closing, I just want to say the website is so good. It's just so filled with such good questions and answers that you that you have and that you will uh, gain some knowledge from. Sands-trustee.com is the website. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number to set up that uh, first consultation uh, and, uh, and connect with Sands and Associates. We're going to talk about the insights about dealing with income tax debt uh, from a BC debt help expert. So Revenue Canada, and pay attention folks, Revenue Canada says 9 out of 10 Canadians file and pay their income taxes on time. So that's pretty good. That's a big majority. But there's still a portion of Canadians that carry a tax debt. And of course, that means costs, high stress. So it's so great, Blair, that you're going to talk about some key facts that we should know about tax debt, because I feel like it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than our regular consumer debt. Would you agree? I would totally agree. It's definitely different in the way that it can arise. You know, sometimes, you know, even without your knowledge, you don't know the actions that you're taking are leading to a tax debt where you typically do know when you're borrowing money. Uh, And then certainly from the recourse uh, that the creditor has, CRA's got a whole lot more tools and they're a whole lot easier to access than the average person or a credit card company or something who is owed money. So definitely it's a little bit different. Uh, I think it's useful to talk about, you know, how do tax debts arise typically? And there's a some, there's a few ways that they can arise that are sometimes unexpected for individuals. So, you know, someone being self-employed and never paying a dollar of tax, that's not unanticipated that they're going to owe some money at the end of the year if they earned a bunch of money and didn't pay tax on it. But a couple ways that people can get into trouble unexpectedly with taxes, first off, is with cashing in RRSP funds. So what happens when you cash in your RRSPs is the financial institution that holds that RRSP, they're going to withhold a certain amount of tax, sometimes it's 10 to 20% or in that range, and they're going to give you the net amount. So right away, some people are surprised, saying, well, I 
105000 for my RRSP. Why am I getting 4500 Well, because there's some tax withheld. But then at the end of the year, you need to understand that depending on your marginal tax rate or the amount of taxes that you have to pay based on your income, that amount that was withheld from your RRSPs may not have been even close to enough. So depending on the income level, it could have been, you know, 40% of that money should have been withheld for taxes. And if they only withheld 10% at source uh, when you did when you made the withdrawal and gave you the amount, they're going to come looking for that other 30% uh, when you file your taxes, you're going to have a balance owing. So be careful when you're cashing in RRSPs that you actually put aside enough money to cover uh, the eventual tax bill that's going to come due at the end of the year. So I've had people definitely have done that over successive years and just really ended up in a tax situation where they needed our help just based on cashing in the RRSPs. Yeah, no, I, no, feel free. Go ahead to the multiple jobs. I think this is a really important one because it's something you're relying on somebody else to make sure they don't take too much off or not enough off and you've got another gig on the side. So it's an important one for sure. Well, yeah, talk about something that you think you're, to, you're doing the best that you can, working hard, trying to get ahead, and then suddenly get smacked with the consequences, unfortunately, is when you take on a second or even a third job, uh, you need to be careful that on those additional jobs that your employer is going to withhold tax at the correct amount. Because when you work for a single employer, they estimate your income over the year, and they say, okay, if you're in this tax bracket, we're going to withdraw this amount of taxes from every paycheck. But if you work for a second or a third employer, they don't know your total income unless you sit down explicitly and tell them. Um, so they're just going to put you typically in you know, the lowest possible tax bracket, uh, withhold the least possible amounts of tax. And then at the end of the year, when you go and do your taxes and you find out, well, based on my income, the second and third job, they didn't withhold near enough taxes from my paycheck. Well, then you can imagine how demoralizing that can feel that I worked so hard in these other jobs. And now I've got a tax bill at the end of the year of money I've already spent because I thought it was free and clear, but it just wasn't enough from CRA's perspective. Is there something that you can specifically ask your employer to do and and hope that they do it? Or, or are they obliged to do it if you ask them? Or how does that work sometimes? Yeah, good question. Well, what's the solution here? So the solution is just to be transparent and communicate with each of your employers and for your second and or third job. And trust me, I see this a lot, especially in, in the lower mainland here. It's to have that conversation with your employer and ask them to withdraw more taxes than would typically be required based on that income level. You know, if you overestimate it, they withdraw too much taxes. Well, guess what? You get a nice tax refund at the end of the year. It's money that you put away and comes back to you. But it's a much better alternative than actually owing some money. So definitely sit down with your employers be transparent, say, here's my total income, here's the tax rate that I think I'll sit into, um, and then absolutely they shouldn't have any issue adjusting that withholding from your paycheck. Now, people who are self-employed might fall into a special category as well. If they've got a salary job and maybe they're doing something on the side, uh, so self-employed people have to pay attention. Oh, absolutely. When you're self-employed, you know, it, it always shocks me that anybody can just set up a business, you know, just tomorrow and be self-employed. No one's going to sit them down and explain to them all the rules for it, but they're going to be held accountable to the letter of those rules, even right from day one. So one spot where I see people get into trouble very quickly is with GST. So you need to figure out if you're self-employed whether you need to collect GST for your goods or services or not. And in most cases, the answer is yes. If you're earning more than $30,000 in revenue, you need to collect and remit GST to the government. And if you fail to do so, uh, regardless of whether you actually collected it from your clients or not, the government's going to say, well, hey, 5% of what you collected, that's owed to us. And the government views GST debt as even more severe than income tax debt because it's viewed as what's called a trust amount. So the 
idea is the consumer, when they're paying you, the self-employed person, they're paying you for your services. They're also putting 5% for GST that you're supposed to hold in trust for the government. And if you fail to do so, uh, the government can take some pretty aggressive actions, including freezing your bank accounts, seizing assets, so on and so forth. So the most important thing here is just to really understand upfront, are you required to be a GST registrant? Uh, and to make sure if you are, that you're remitting those funds to GST. I, I suggest on a monthly basis, you can do quarterly or annually, but on a monthly basis, you just know you're not going to get very behind if you're clearing that 12 times a year. I just want to throw in here as well that, you know, if you don't want to wait any longer, you want to take some action, you think you're in, that that we're speaking to you in your situation, the best way to take some action is give Sands & Associates a call or log on to their website and get an appointment. It's nice and easy to do. The address is sands-trustee.com and their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. I guess the number one thing when it comes to income tax, or at least it is for me, is always file on time. I'm so concerned about the deadlines and how they can sort of shift around a little bit depending on what year it is or what position I'm in. So filing on time's got to be way up there in terms of the best thing you can do to start off well. Yeah, that's number one at the top of the list. It's just down to, you know, the, the Nike slogan, just do it. You know, you've got to file your taxes every year. Even if you don't owe anything, it's in your best interest to file because you might need to prove your income for credit or housing applications. And if you want to receive benefits like quarterly GST checks, or if you're a senior, the guaranteed income supplement, or your Canada child benefit um, as, a, as a couple or individual with children, those are all very important reasons why you need to file your taxes because you won't get those benefits otherwise. And it is your civic obligation. You know, you won't go to jail for owing tax debt in Canada. I've never seen that, but I have seen warrants for arrests for people who have not filed in 20 years and CRA is just at the end of their ropes and doesn't know what to do that's going to get this person's attention. So it's very important just to get your taxes filed each, each year. And there are people that can help you with that, including us at Sands and Associates. If you have debt, sometimes getting you caught up on your taxes is a, is a key part of what we do. But it's important that you do it on time to the deadline. And April 30th is the deadline year in and year out. So April 30th, when your return has to be in and if you're not self-employed your payment for any taxes owing has to be in at that point um, if you are self-employed uh, for june 15th you have until then to file so a little bit of extra time to get all your books in order but you still have to have paid at april 30th so you're required to estimate what your taxes are and if you're wrong you're going to be paying a little bit of a difference there or getting a refund back but april 30th is a very important payment deadline and what's really important about that deadline is if you don't hit that deadline to file your taxes and get the balances paid, you're going to be charged with some interest that compounds daily. And what can be even more significant is the late filing penalty. Um, so if it's your first year being late on filing your taxes, any amounts that are owing are hit with an immediate 5% penalty. And then for every month that that return is late, it goes up by another percent. So it could be, you know, 16, 17% by the end of the year. And if it's not your first year being delinquent and pay filing your taxes on time, it's doubled. So it's a 10% hit uh, to the balance right away plus two percent per month that's higher than a lot of credit cards payday loans uh interest rates charge so you've really got to be uh, on cra's schedule or their their interest rates and penalties can be quite significant and tax debt isn't something that ever goes away does it unless you actually take do something about it 
No, tax debt doesn't expire. Um, it's one of those few debts that are out there where there's no statute of limitations. So you can't wait it out. Um, you can't, you know, just make a plea of poverty and say, hey, this debt is gone. I can never pay it. Um, no, obviously, if you've got no ability to pay CRA, you know, they're not going to be able to do that much to you. But it's not the case where you can just, you know, go silent for a few years and just think, well, when I pop back up again, this tax debt is going to be gone. So the only way to deal with CRA is you have to take formal steps. You either have to work with them on a repayment payment plan and typically they'll be you know flexible to a degree but usually it's about a six-month payment plan is what they'll sign on to and maybe they'll give you some some breaks on the interest and the penalties uh, but they won't be able to reduce the principal at all and if that doesn't work linking directly with CRA uh, the only way that you can achieve tax forgiveness uh, is to work directly with a licensed insolvency trustee and do either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy which we talk about a ton on the show here. Yeah, and uh, I just want to stress, too, that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one, is the only one that can deal with CRA on any level in terms of a tax debt. Well, that's right, Elaine. I think it's important for people to know because you do see a lot of advertisements for tax lawyers and things like that. And there's definitely a niche a tax lawyer can play where if you think it's unfair the way that you've been assessed, it's just not right. You need to dispute some of the facts behind your tax debt. That's where a tax lawyer can assist you. But if you say, well, yeah, I just made too much income or I didn't I didn't remit GST as I should have. And there's no mystery about the tax debt. That's absolutely where you need the help of a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, It's going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than, than paying a tax lawyer per hour. And we've got the defined solution that's actually going to help you deal with that debt. We're not going to dispute it. We're just going to help you discharge it and get rid of it at the end. Now, we just got about another minute or so. I bet one of the questions that comes up for for you from people are, does CRA, can CRA put a lien on my house or how much power does CRA have when it comes to my stuff? Yeah, I think that's a great way to finish here, Elena, not to put the fear into people at all, but CRA has more power than you could imagine. <laughs> um, so I say that as a trustee, seeing what all of their creditors can do, and almost with no notice. So they've got to send, you know, one written notice, but whether that's received or not, if they don't really care, um, CRA can put a lien on your house. So if you've got a house that's not mortgaged completely, or even if it is, CRA will just go in second position. CRA can absolutely place a lien on your house, so when the house is eventually sold, they'll get paid out in full for their amounts that's owing for taxes. Uh, they can also go for your employment income. They don't need to sue you first. They can start to seize wages. Even pensions can be seized up to 100% by CRA, which no other creditor in Canada can attach to pension income, and certainly not for 100%. But CRA has the tools to do it. It's definitely not their first step, but they've got very robust steps they can take to collect if you don't deal with the debt head on. So the best way to deal with that debt head on is go see uh, either Blair or someone from their office, Sands and Associates, they've got offices all over British Columbia. Get that debt-free, get debt-free and connect with a non-judgmental debt help professional. Sands and Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 to book your, fr- your free confidential debt consolidation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Mountain from Sands and Associates. We're talking about bankruptcy. It's a hard topic, an important one, though, to really understand the truth around bankruptcy and the personal bankruptcy process in British Columbia. So if you're thinking about declaring bankruptcy, Blair Mountain's going to explain how the process works and what you should know before you file. And, of course, you are going to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. That's the way you have to do it in this province uh, if that's your next step. So let's talk about that, Blair. Uh, can you 
really just explain what it means to file for personal bankruptcy? And, and is it as scary as people think it is or have as much punch as that word does for folks? In general, bankruptcy is nowhere near as bad as people think. And I've got a, you know, a video on our YouTube channel. It's been up there for probably eight years now or so. It still gets a lot of traffic. And the title on it is bankruptcy is not as bad as you think. So, you know, that's essentially my contention going into this. Whatever assumptions you have, it's probably going to be less severe. But all that being said, I know bankruptcy is a very scary word. None of us set out with the goal of going through a bankruptcy. Um, you know, it's not a successful point in someone's life typically, um, but it can be a huge relief. And in hindsight, I've had so so many clients tell me, you know, in hindsight, this was probably the best thing I ever did because it allowed me to finally click stop on, um, you know, the tough situation I was in, um, you know, all the stress, all the obligations that I couldn't meet, um, go through a formal restructuring where I was respected. I had the benefit of Canadian law to help me re reorganize myself and start again. And, you know, now I'm successful again. So I've had people phone me. They've started businesses, incredibly successful, um, you know, multiple real estate holdings. I had one gentleman, this is just about a month ago or so. And he phoned me from Prince George and he was saying, you know, I worked with you guys years ago. I went through a bankruptcy. I paid attention to all the counseling sessions. And he said, you know what, Blair, now when I look out the block, I'm looking at the houses that I own. He said, you know, I own that one. I own this one. I'm renting this one to students, this one to, to workers. I'm like, wow. So you came out of this, you started saving money and, you know, you, right timing is important because he was able to buy things at a good price before they escalated. But, you know, without him having done that bankruptcy, he would not have been able to move forward to be as successful as he is today. Um, so what it wow, means what a to wonderful go, story. Yeah. Well, it just makes my day. And those are the, the happiest calls that I get. You know, it's often when someone is just taking that next step and they might need to confirm a little piece of information from me. Uh, but it just, you know, fills me up with joy just to know, okay, you know, I knew this person when they needed help and they were in a tough situation and now they're just that much more successful. And a lot of these folks, you know, they want to help others. So all of our advertising, it's real clients, real stories, you know, not scripted. This is their actual experience. So it really can be a life-changing thing. It sounds negative, um, but, you know, the means to the end, you know, the end here is that you're going to end up with no debt uh, moving forward and a chance to start again. Um, so what a bankruptcy does is it allows you to eliminate all of your debt uh, working under the supervision of a licensed insolvency trustee. And when I say all of your debt, it's debts that could include things like general consumer and business debt. So credit cards, lines of credit, over draft, payday loans, everything along those lines. Um, secure debts, if you don't want to continue with the obligation, what that means is if you have a car loan where you owe a whole lot more than what the car is worth and you don't want to continue with it, you would just let that go as part of a bankruptcy. Um, similar, we haven't seen this much in recent years, but I know we'll see this again in the future. If real estate values fall and someone says, you know, I owe a million dollars on my home that I might sell for 800000 um, you know, what's going to happen to that $200,000 shortfall? Well, in a bankruptcy proceeding, all of that could be dealt with and eliminated. Um, in some cases, it's business debt. So you know, it might be a director of a corporation or somebody um, just running a sole proprietorship or could have personally guaranteed some business debt, but it could be you know, a tax debt from the business. It could be a lease from a business. Any of those types of obligations um, can be discharged by filing a personal bankruptcy. What's important for people to know too uh, is that the option, the decision to file for bankruptcy, it's yours and yours alone. So nobody gets forced into bankruptcy. It's theoretically theoretically possible. I've never seen it in 15 years of practice. Um, generally, this is something that you decide. You decide you need the relief of the legislation and there's no court hearing where you need to justify yourself. There's no permission required from your creditors. You have the right to file a bankruptcy at any point if you find yourself insolvent, which means you're unable to pay your debts and you need the relief and protection of Canadian law.
And I want to mention if you're, if, if Blair's already been talking about your situation or you've been thinking along these lines, give them a call 1-800-661-3030 for that first sit down to, to see if this is the best step forward for you. They have 19 offices. I think it's 19 offices now, right, Blair? All over. British oh, Columbia. more than that. We're at about 25. We're all over the province now. 25. Oh, I'm very mm-hmm. sorry. 25 That's offices okay. all over bra- the province. And the website is sands-trustee.com. So uh, can we talk about the key steps to declaring bankruptcy in, in Canada? Yeah, you know, it's it's quite a big misconception. People think bankruptcy takes seven years. It's an incredible ordeal to go through. In practice, it's pretty brief and straightforward in most cases. In about 80% of cases, bankruptcy from the day that it starts to the day that it's finished and you move on being discharged from bankruptcy can be as short as just nine months. So it's not anywhere close to the six or seven years that most people think, literally nine months for 80% of people. Uh, What are the main steps? Well, step one is it all comes back to the free consultation with a licensed insolvency trustee. So you're going to meet with us confidentially. It might be over video, might be telephone in our offices across the province, whatever works on your terms, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about all of the options that you have. You know, bankruptcy is typically the last resort if nothing else works. So there's certainly situations where bankruptcy makes perfect sense. There's also situations where someone might think bankruptcy is the right option. And then when we show them, well, here's a consumer proposal, you might end up paying something similar, uh, but you're this much more in control, a little bit better on your credit. The person might make the choice to take that option. So we don't go into anything with a foregone conclusion that bankruptcy is inevitable. But if it is the right option during the first consultation. We're going to explore all of those things and let you know exactly what filing a bankruptcy would entail. Uh, Step two is after that first meeting, you'd prepare an information form. So we'd show you here's the form that you fill out either online, in person, or or by print. Um, And then you give us all the information so we can prepare the official bankruptcy documents. And then our step three is we sign those documents. Once we've signed those documents, the bankruptcy starts, the nine-month counter is underway, and you cease having any responsibility to your credit at all. There's no payments required of you. They can't call you, harass you, take you to court. If anything's being seized from you, that has to stop. If your wages or benefits are being seized, a trustee's going to put a stop to that right away. And then you focus on completing the duties of the bankruptcy and achieving that discharge, which puts the debt behind you. There are some very specific advantages to declaring bankruptcy or choosing bankruptcy over a consumer proposal. For this, for the purposes of this segment, can we talk about what those are? Yeah, there's definitely bank uh, advantages to bankruptcies versus other options. And in some cases, they can be better than a consumer proposal. Um, but in general, a proposal and a bankruptcy give you a whole lot of very similar advantages in that they're both quite mm. private processes. So when you file the bankruptcy, a lot of people think, and I thought this too before I was a trustee, well, I've seen those bankruptcy sections in the newspaper. It must mean that every bankruptcy is in the newspaper. That's not the case at all. It's about 1% of bankruptcies have to be in the newspaper. It's for a single day. And, you know, there's maybe a few of those a year we do here at Sands, and we do thousands of, of other client work here. So I sometimes joke, you know, if every bankruptcy had to be in the newspaper, there would be nothing else there because we're talking thousands of names every single month. It's just in the province of BC. So it's generally a very private process. Your creditors have to be aware. The trustee is aware. But that's often where it ends. You know, we encourage everybody to be open and transparent with the people that they care about 
about and that care about them and get support. But is it possible for a husband or a wife to file a bankruptcy and the other spouse not knowing? It's possible, for sure. The only the person that's directly related to the proceeding generally needs to know about it. Um, in terms of fees, um, generally a bankruptcy is going to be the cheapest way for you to deal with a debt problem, you know, short of just not paying anything and running from the debt, which is not a long-term solution, but in some cases that's what someone needs to do for a period of time. Uh, but most bankruptcies, again, inside of nine months, if your income is below a certain level of a low-income guideline, it's around $2,400 a month take-home pay uh, for the most recent year, you pay just a single all-inclusive cost of bankruptcy, which is usually around $2,300. Uh, it's usually split over the nine-month period, so about, you know, between $250, $280-ish per month over that period of time. And that's in lieu of you making any payments at all to creditors. So instead of paying the creditors a lot of money each month that might go on forever, you pay a reduced amount to the trustee. It's over in nine months. And the last point is that the bankruptcy actually can protect your assets. So you might be subject to, you know, wage seizures, asset seizures, as soon as you file a bankruptcy, all that grinds to a halt. You get the space um, and the time that you need to restructure under the supervision of the trustee. And 10 minutes is hardly enough time to really talk about bankruptcy and all the ins and outs, especially how it pertains to you personally. So it's so important to have a sit down with somebody who knows. And in this business, it's Sands and Associates, Licensed Insolvency Trustee Blair Manton. They have 25 offices throughout British Columbia. Their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about expert tips for paying off your debt. Uh, focused on paying it down? Well, Blair Manton is going to give us some good advice and tips for staying on track or getting on track with debt payments and getting to that debt-free place. So Blair, if I want to prioritize and plan something, anything for paying down my debt, what are some of the key areas to focus on? Well, certainly, Elaine, it's, it's really important as you embark on a goal um, of getting out of debt that you set yourself up for success. And whatever plan you put together, you want to make sure there's at least two things, the two components of that plan that are, are completely robust and you can rely on. Uh, one is that the whatever payments that you're going to be signing on for, they're consistently manageable and affordable. If you're going to sign on to make a certain payment per month, you can make that payment each month, you know, regardless of the season, things go up and down, you're sure it's something that can fit into your budget. And that second, that these payments are going to actually move you forward. So it's going to be something that's going to result in you becoming debt free, not something where you're on, you know, the hamster wheel of minimum payments, everything goes to interest, and you're just doing the same thing, you're making payments, but you're not getting further ahead. So both of those two components, make sure you can afford a payment, and make sure it's actually bringing you towards a goal. Um, those are just so important to keep in mind, um, as you're considering how to become debt free. Um, a couple points as you're putting together a, a debt-free plan, and you know, if someone's thinking informally, um, you can do this on your own. Absolutely, this is a good first step for someone to see. You know, do I need professional assistance, or is it something I can just, you know, uh, work my way through a debt problem? So it's great for everybody to start with the first step if they're concerned about their debt, uh, which is we call getting your budget aligned. So the whole idea of creating a budget, a budget doesn't have to be a chore. It doesn't have to be a restrictive type of thing that tells you you can't do what you want to do. 
what a budget is about. It's about being in control of your money, um, prioritizing the things that you really want and making some informed decisions. Um, so if there are trade-offs, they're trade-offs that you're consciously making, not being forced to make. Uh, a budget doesn't have to be grand or complicated to work well. Um, there's just a few key components that need to be there. And the most important thing is you start by mapping out your income and then where and how you think you're going to spend it. You keep track of that and whatever method works for you. And it could be as simple as a spreadsheet. It could be a pad of paper. You know, people have various different ways that work. But what's so important uh, when you keep a budget is that you actually revisit it at the end of the month. You look back and say, okay, well, where did I actually spend my money? Because that's where the real magic is, is looking at, well, here was my plan. Um, here's what life threw at me and how I reacted. And okay, is this a budget that's going to work next month? Are we expecting that type of thing to reoccur and adjusting that way? If you don't adjust to your variances, you're not getting a whole lot of value out of the budget um, each month. Um, and the final thing, you know, one thing that's important when you put together a budget is, of course, to consider all the regular things you pay each month, of course, the rent, the groceries, all of that stuff. But where people often get tripped up is around irregular expenses. So the things we know they're going to happen once a year. So, you know, it might be a car repair and insurance, a tax installment, something along those lines. And if we don't plan for those each month, there's going to be some lump sum that's going to be required. Um, and if you don't have the money on hand, it's often a reliance on credit that can happen there. So, you know, whatever format works for you, the important thing is to have a budget, to revisit the budget, and then to make sure you've also considered those irregular expenses, which we sometimes call them the budget killers, because you could be just going fine. And then, oh, darn, I forgot to plan for the property taxes this year. And well, now I'm on credit and that's just going to continue to escalate with interest costs. Okay. Um, if you already know that you want to take some action, uh, get a hold of Sands & Associates. This is their phone number, 1-800-661-3030. Of course, they have offices pretty much all over British Columbia now. And sands-trustee.com is the website. Can we talk about the rule of 60 as a, as a good way to sort of get a sense of where, where I am with my, with my debt or my budget or my expenses? Yeah, I love this calculation, Elaine, because it's so simple and, and it's intuitive and it's a really quick check any of our listeners could do. And it's a pretty good, um, you know, almost a gut check to say, okay, am I feeling okay about my debt or do I need some help? And what you do is you add up all of your non-mortgage debts. So non-mortgage, uh, non-car loan, not your secured debts, but things like a credit card bill, income tax, payday loans, you know, anything your typical unsecured debt to fall into there, a student loan, for example. Um, add up the amount of money that you owe and divide that by 60. So if it's $20,000, um, divide that by 60, you know, your $333-ish, you know, is that something you feel that you could afford? Because if you're paying any less than that on your debts each month, you are certainly not getting ahead. You're just moving further behind. And if that is something that you can afford, well, then you know the only thing that's stopping you from getting out of debt within five years is the interest charges, because otherwise you'd be out of debt, but these guys are going to keep charging you interest. So then you can start to focus on, well, what are the tactics I can do to reduce or eliminate those interest interest charges. So it could be as simple as you approach your bank, you do a balance transfer to a lower card, if that's possible, perhaps you can try to consolidate things. Uh, for many people, when they do that rule of 60 math, they say, Oh, my gosh, you know, this is a number that I just can't afford to pay divided by 60 and certainly not plus interest. And that's when people gravitate towards something like a consumer proposal, which right off the top is zero interest. So the maximum you'd, you'd ever pay is, you know, your debt divided by 60. Um, but it's usually a pretty significant discount on the 
amount of debt that you have because it's what you can afford. So it might be, you know, you divided it by 60 and it's a $333 payment. What you can actually afford is $150 a month. Well, by filing a consumer proposal, you'd be able to reduce the payment potentially down to that lower amount, which could actually fit in your budget and get you out of debt inside of the five years rather than you just keep doing what you're doing. You're treading water, but you're not getting further ahead because all the minimum payments, you know, roughly 90% of them in many cases is just going to interest cost. Okay. So I was thinking that the financial habits that, that you think is important for somebody to take a look at bringing into their own uh, routine to succeed. Should, can we just focus on those uh, as we mm -hmm. end out this segment? Yeah, the number one uh, financial habit that's going to inoculate you potentially against having a debt problem is to have some personal savings. And this is no, um, you know, magic here. Of course, if you've got a, a sum of money that you can rely on, you've got a whole lot more flexibility than being forced to borrow because every time you borrow, you've got to pay back more than you borrowed. And depending on who the creditor is, if it's a lender of last resort, like a payday loan, for example, you might be several hundred percent of interest charges, which can very quickly turn into a cycle. So what's so important if you're building up savings is to have a purpose for it. And, you know, a couple of key things, you know, number one on the list, I would say is to have an emergency savings fund. So, you know, going back to when I became a trustee about 15 years ago, you know, this was a best practice. A lot of people were able to do it, accumulate a fund. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of people in the province of BC lately. Uh, perhaps their emergency fund got used up during COVID, which was a certainly an emergency. Uh, but this is something a lot of people have a struggle doing, but it's certainly, it's one of the biggest goals you can have is to start, try to have an emergency fund that could sustain your household for a good three to six months. So if you figured out if I had no income coming in, what would I need to do to support myself and my family for three to six months? That would help you estimate what's the, the size of an emergency fund that would give you some flexibility there. Uh, you know, other key savings, things like a holiday fund. So it's always the best practice. If you want to take a vacation, you know, pay for it first and then go on the vacation rather than put it on credit and be paying for it years after when the memories have faded, but the debt remains. That's not too much fun. Uh, you know, saving for retirement is so important. You know, company pension plans are fewer and fewer these days. It just becomes an individual's responsibility to really get themselves set up. And then oftentimes there's some big goals. So whether it's a down payment um, on a property or, um, you know, a car or some other type of financing, um, you know, saving some money towards that, being able to put some money down and not having to finance the whole thing, which of course is not even an option in real estate. You have to have that down payment there. So just the goal of building savings, that's the number one most important financial habit that can really protect you against potentially having a debt problem. Um, I just want to finish the segment too, and, and Blair's the expert. There's no doubt about it in, in everything to do with debt and ways to deal with it really, really well. But I'm thinking if you're feeling stressed or anxious about your financial situation, that's probably the number one warning sign to take some action. And if you don't know what that action might be, then this is even better. Uh, to give Sands & Associates a call, they've got offices all over British Columbia. I'm going to give you their 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030 for that first free sit down to talk about your situation and check out their website, sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.